And for me, like that's that's my jam right there. This is for you new people. I only have one rule. Everyone fights, no one quits. If you don't do your job, I'll shoot you. You get me. We get you, sir! Welcome to the Roughnecks. Ratchets Roughnecks! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to The Style Guide with your host, Dave Morris and Stephen Orr. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing very well today, Steve. Thank you for asking. I, I did not expect you to ask. You didn't? <laughs> no, 40, 49 episodes in, I, I'm never sure what you're going to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Our routine is solid. Yeah, uh, but, I, I'm, but I am doing well. I'm doing well. And yourself? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm... I am laughing at the way that the episode ended up getting recorded for us. Uh, yeah, Starship Troopers. Sorry, uh, well, spoilers, that's what we're doing today. We're talking about Starship Troopers. And we happen to be recording on Remembrance Day, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which, is, and, which is one thing that's kind of funny. Yep, and it's also the, the episode that's released the week after our election campaign ad episode, which is even funnier. Yeah, and also released as the first episode with uh, President-elect Donald Trump existing. And scene. But I must say, so I uh, read the book this week, because this is, of course, we're not just talking about the movie Starship Troopers, we're talking about the book and movie. Mm-hmm. And I read the book this week, and it did make it an interesting time of life to read, a, read Starship Troopers. Between mm-hmm. President Donald Trump winning the election, or sorry, President-elect Donald Trump winning the election, and Remembrance Day coming up, and it was mm-hmm. like in between those days, I was reading Starship Troopers. And that was kind of like, I think, an excellent time to read the book. Yeah? Yeah, it really was. It did make it very interesting to be thinking about like the military and, you know, soldiers and remembering soldiers and lunatics, uh, <laughs> like all this stuff while, while reading it, while, while preparing for this episode. It did, it did color my experience of reading it interesting. And... And so you hadn't read the book before. Had you seen the movie? No, I had not seen the movie or read the book. Okay. And this was my introduction to it. Well, what a what a what a time to uh, be alive, as they say. Yeah, and you have read the book and seen the movie, obviously. I have. Yeah, that's one of the things about this week. Where uh, this week, I I think, <laughs> what did I say in my notes? I tricked you into reading political philosophy. So that I could I could help prepare a paper, but <laughs> no, that's that's great. Uh, it, it was <laughs> I did not feel tricked. Excellent. But I did I did while reading it think to myself on multiple occasions. Uh, this is this is why Steve totally loves this book. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, this feels kind of like Ender's Game, and Dune, and political philosophy paper. Yeah, uh, yeah, sort of felt like. That's a that's a good description <laughs> of the book. <laughs> This yeah. this much loved and much hated uh, book and this much loved and much hated movie. We yeah, yeah, which is uh, which is neat. I, I mean, I'll tell you which side I come down on on each of those in a moment. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I didn't feel tricked into reading it. I actually, I, I really enjoyed reading it. Excellent. And I like that. Like when we did uh, Perfume, you hadn't read Perfume, right? Yeah. And you hadn't seen the movie. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so that was me getting you to read and watch something. And now you have made me read watch something, and uh, and I think uh, it was it was great. It was a wonderful wonderful week. Well, and and what's what I like about this in contrast with say our perfume episode is that 
Perfume, in some ways, was about trying to honor the book, and the like. The movie was trying to honor the book and really, really capture the same feeling and translate it to a different medium. Whereas the film here is not trying to honor the book, and so not at all, no. And so it's it's a it's in a it, it's about what's different and what changed, and so it's a I, I think a, a fascinating sort of uh, different episode to do in that regard. Yeah. All right. Where would you like to start? Book or movie? Oh, uh, let's let's start with the book. Wonderful. Let's start, yeah, let's start with the book. So the the exploration of young Johnny Rico as he uh, as he makes his way through the the military in the future. Yeah, I loved it. You did. You loved it. I loved it. I loved the book. I had a great. I really enjoyed it. I think everyone out there should read the book, Starship Troopers. You've probably seen the movie and you're like, what? Why are they? How could this book be any good? And you have to read it. It's fantastic. It's great. Uh, And it read to me like a prequel to Ender's Game. Like Mm -hmm. the original war with the buggers is what it kind of felt like. And I was shocked to find out that Orson Scott Card denied that this book had any influence on Ender's Game. Well, and, and, and that's right. The connections between this book and that one uh, are obvious to me, but that might just be because I was so deeply embedded in both of them. Because, yeah, you're right. Orson Scott Card doesn't, doesn't claim that there's any linkages. Yeah, not only not claim, but he just denies outright. He said, I had never even read the book. Yeah. Which is shocking that he, as a sci-fi writer, never read this book. But I mean, it, like, so this is this is how afterwards when I realized that it's like, okay, so they just happen to both write about soldiers fighting bug planet people. That's not too similar. And Ender's Game was written as a short story originally. Mm-hmm. And in the short story, there was no, uh, they, there weren't buggers. Right. They were just the enemy. And it was about a kid playing a game, right? Uh, and he didn't turn it into a full novel until he wanted to do Speaker for the Dead. So he needed to make a full novel for the backstory of Ender's Game just to write Speakers for the Speaker for the Dead. That was kind of like the the arc of, of how Ender's Game came into being. And so I can see now, like, okay, he wrote Ender's Game with nothing, no knowledge of the of Starship Troopers because it doesn't require any. But then when he turned it into a novel, maybe it was at that point that he did, had already read Starship Troopers. <laughs> so Ender's Game, sure, nothing to do with it. But the novel did. <laughs> I don't know. It was it was hard for me to think like he how could he have not read this book? And one of the things that I that's important to remember about Starship Troopers the novel is that it wasn't exactly well received in its time. Like the, it the, there were definitely people who loved it and it and I'm it, it probably won the Nebula or whatever Heinlein was winning at the time. It did. But it was it was considered a, a kids novel compared to the hard science fiction that was of, of the of the time and some of the later stuff that we got out of Heinlein. Mm-hmm. And there were people who saw it as an endorsement of uh, fascism and the military state. Yeah. And so it even if you had read it, or maybe you wouldn't read it because of those sorts of ties. And so that 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 may be one of the things that kind of influences how people like Orson Scott Card later approached their thoughts on the novel. Yeah, and it was also written when the draft existed. 
Yeah. The military draft, and that's how the military in the U.S. would would work. And and so that's that's what makes this such an interesting book because of the time in which it was written, and yet how different from the time it it tries to be. Because this main character wasn't drafted. He he signs up as a volunteer. Well, and one of the biggest themes in the book is is that uh, we don't want soldiers who are fighting because they have to. They're forced to. We want soldiers that are fighting because they volunteered to fight. Yeah. Which is which is like the theme of the book, like the the MI fight because that's they 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 chose to fight. And that's exactly. why they're and that's why they're the best. And that's why they have the super cool suits. Yeah, the super cool robot suits that <laughs> like and, and that's the thing. Prior prior to this, that hadn't been a major concept in science fiction. And he spawns, like, we don't have, I don't, I don't think we get Power Rangers if we don't start with Heinlein. Like, I think it's that sort of uh, eventual train, train. Yeah, and like, okay, uh, are we getting ahead of ourselves here? No, we're not. Let's talk about the suits. Because um, it starts, <laughs> the first chapter, they're in the suits. Yeah. Uh, which is the thing I loved about this book, is that the first chapter was just like, just started in the middle of the action. Mm-hmm. Didn't really set anything up for you. They're in, about to do a drop. They're all suited up. They're just getting the shakes. You know, they they land. They're jumping with these somehow jet jumping over buildings, seeing bugs, shooting them, blowing them up. Where were they skinnies? I can't remember what they. These were, were the skinnies, yeah. The skinnies blowing them up, shooting things, dropping a nuke here, this there, just like like uh, the rule, trying to get rid of as much ammo as you can. Like like this huge action sequence picture in my head of, of mm-hmm. blowing things up and stuff. And then all of a sudden, it cuts back to a uh, high school kid in moral and uh history and moral philosophy so yeah yeah history and moral philosophy which is a science according to the book um (laughs) which must make you a little upset but uh yeah and then and then with the rest of the book there's like no fighting until the end yeah yeah it it really like it, it dumps us into the 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 action and then it says we're going to give you, what, you know, 150, 130 pages of backstory. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like like he must have started the backstory thing and that was the book. And then somebody he showed it to was like, you can't write a book called Starship Troopers and not have any fighting until the last chapter. You have to give us something. And he was like, okay, I'll start with it or something. <laughs> And in a lot of ways, like this is classic Heinlein, who's interested in ideas and exploring ideas. And so you don't get a ton of action. It's it's science fiction that is meant to be speculative and 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 explore concepts. And so like it in, in some ways, that's just what Heinlein liked to do. But yeah. in in a book that is about, you know, the exploration of kind of military life, it's it's strange if you don't get much military uh, action. Yeah. Strange, but very nice. I actually enjoyed it. I thought it was refreshing to see it, a military novel about the the story of someone trying to climb, like climbing the ranks of the military and doing all the parts of the military that aren't action. And and that's that's one of the things that's so lovely about the book is that it it seems like a very true to life exploration. Like it, it isn't constant action. He He is a hero, yes, but he... Most for the most part, he's only accidentally a hero who's just trying to more or less do his, you know, do his job, keep his friends alive, and 
you know, make his way through the world. And so it, it doesn't have, a, it doesn't need a lot of action for you to get a, a picture of, of Johnny Rico. Yeah. And gives it like the, um, like right from the start when he, when he applies and he has this list of things that he checks off that he'd like to do in what order. And he goes in and the first thing they ask him is if he likes dogs about the canine unit, which is like his last second to last choice. <laughs> and I was like, eh, I don't really like dogs. And I was like, well, then here's your last choice. <laughs> and he just gets thrown into MI. So it wasn't even like that was what he wanted to do. That's just where he ended up. And then by the end, that is who he is. And yeah. so like watching that journey of a kid who just signed up for the military just almost just despite his dad, or actually, honestly, it's because he liked a girl. Well, but like, like even then, that isn't even a strong motivation. He mostly just signs up because he happened to sign up. Like he falls into it. Well, his friend was signing up, and he had a crush on a girl who was signing up, and he was kind of you know in this play didn't know who he was as a person. I guess like you know, uh, I feel like he's in the state that most people are when they graduate high school and just sign up for the military, or consider it, or almost do it. Yeah, and so. He goes from that, this kind of like wishy-washy in the middle of stuff, not really sure with no good reason, to at the end, like having no idea what else he would do with his life, basically. Like he's, he's, he's the lieutenant. This is his life. Yeah, he, he becomes a soldier. I mean, it's in, in, in a lot of ways, it's a coming-of-age story and not just the story of a child becoming an adult, but in the way that Heinlein frames it, of a human being becoming a citizen of this state and mm -hmm. how he's willing to, how he, how he understands himself in relation to his fellow people uh, radically changes throughout the novel and his role in society changes in the novel. And so it in, in some ways is two different coming of age stories that get melted together. One way I wrote down my description of this book versus the movie the book is a very thoughtful and measured look at climbing the political ranks of the military and all the difficulties it contains and contains cool suits. Mm -hmm. Whereas my description of the movie would contain none of those words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, the politics, can we talk the politics for a second? Oh, definitely. Just like that whole, the whole, like, there's so so many uh, political things happening in this book. Uh, the moral, uh, the history and moral philosophy class, yep, is uh, is just a, a wonderful section. And for those who haven't read it, it's it's this class that everybody has to take in high school, but nobody has to pass, and yeah. so you you just have to be there uh, and show up, and and the prof is going to take you through history and moral philosophy and hopefully you get something out of the course like it's it's that ambiguous yeah. and for me like that's that's my jam right there i yeah <laughs> like, yeah give me more of that the, the book could just be that class all over everyone has to go but nobody has to pass how great is that yeah. uh, and where we meet his teacher mr dubois who is not in the movie not in uh, the movie he, no. he kind of becomes melded uh, with another character in the in the movie yeah, which I didn't like, but whatever. But Mr. Dubois, who's just like this, you know, ex-soldier who's teaching more, uh, history and moral philosophy. So there's a lot of philosophy that happens in there and, and morality questions and stuff, which is all fascinating. Uh, but the main thing, this idea that, which, uh, this idea that only people who've served a term in the military 
mm-hmm. for a minimum of two years, but as long as the military needs you, but a minimum of two years, has the right to vote. Yep. That is the that is the po- political statement that this book makes that is, I guess, the one that probably uh, offends people the most or creates a lot of discussion or people are like, yeah, that's how it should be. Like there's like it, it's it's the big, huge political statement that is different than how we live right now. It is. And, and it and it hard, hard to hard to overemphasize how radical this was, especially at the time in which it was being written, like. The idea of democracy being this absolute franchise that everyone has once you hit 18 versus nobody gets it until you serve in the military <laughs> like that. It's, it's a huge radical idea. And, and it, it's one of the reasons why some people just hate this book. Yeah, because it, it attacks democracy a little. Well, and on, on the surface, I think that you can make the argument that it attacks democracy. Yes. I think that this book has actually such an enduring respect for democracy that it that runs through the surface uh, of this novel, and and that idea the the question that Heinlein asks what if we tied voting to military service is a fascinating question. Yeah, and actually not too unheard of. I mean. Uh, I was talking with Missy last night about it, and she brought up that in European countries this happens quite often, uh, where it's not not directly like you have to serve military service and then afterwards you're allowed to vote, but serving two years in the military is part of being a citizen, mm-hmm. and everybody does it. Or if you don't do the military, you do like uh, there's another like there's a it's either the military or like a social services or something like that. Like there's two things to choose between. If you're not a military person, you can do this other thing. But everyone has to do like two years of service to the state, basically, as part of citizenship. Or you or you move away, basically. Yeah, you you have to, as a citizen, show your commitment to that which is greater than yourself. The the body of people that is everyone in the state. That's that's the core idea. So it's not it's not that radical. Mm-hmm. It's not that radical, except that it was only people who served in the military for two years have the right to vote. So, like that's the part where there's no other choice, I guess. Um, or you're just, or you just become a resident. And like you couldn't serve in politics without having served in the military. Like it's yeah. like this. So, so he, he I, I think it's right to point to this being a very, a very particular statement about the world that he's making. Yeah. I mean, uh, where is it? Here's, I'm, I'm going to find the quote here because it's, can you install my, can you restore my eyesight, sir? Why no, sir? You would find it much easier than to instill moral value, virtue, social responsibility into a person who doesn't have it, doesn't want it, and resents having the burden thrust upon him. Uh, that idea that it's the people that don't want to vote have this burden of voting thrust upon them. That, that now they have to vote even though they don't want to have anything to do with it. And so instead of just the people who have this, what is it, moral virtue? Is that how he refers to it? This moral virtue and this social responsibility, these people that, that look at the whole and want to protect it and join the military because those are the people that want to do it. And so when they are finished, they, they, want, the, they want to help take care of everybody as opposed to these people that see it as a burden. So that was kind of the, the, the sentence, sentence that really like summed it up for me. This burden thrust upon you versus this moral responsibility. 
And Heinlein understands politics and democracy differently than was popular at the time and even today. Like, for him, there there is a sense in which politicking and governing is some sort of violence over the citizens. You are forcing people to act in a particular way. Even even if, if it's in their best interest, you're still you are still forcing a wide range of people to act in a particular manner against against their will. And so part of that is going to part, part of that is violent. And and he he makes the suggestion that the people best suited to understanding violence are those who have had to enact violence before soldiers. Yeah. And and so those are the ones who are best able to accept the personal responsibility to to commit the act of violence that is voting in a democracy. And yeah, and I, I guess I didn't see the the violent part of the voting in a democracy, but I guess that's totally there. That's totally what he says. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. But to me, it was it was looked at in the in the more just the people that have have uh, have volunt and not even been in the military, but volunteered for the military mm-hmm. because everyone's a volunteer. So you chose to do it, uh, and you managed to get through your two years in the military, which is something that is stressed throughout this book that I loved, was that every moment it was like you could resign anytime you want, just go home. And like that they tried to get you out of the military. No. They didn't want you in the military. They wanted you to leave because the only people they want are those that, are, that have a, a moral conviction strong enough to keep going and know that they have to do this no matter how hard it is and how much they get given the opportunity to walk away, they stuck, stuck with it. it. To me, it was those only those people who care that much about other people more than themselves, who care more about the body of the, the, of the body politic. What do you call it? Yeah, you got it, the body politic. Who care more about the body politic than the, their own body. All, those people have earned the right to vote. And I think I, I enjoyed the stressing of the word, like, earned the right to vote. That by proving that you care about other people more than yourselves, you earn it, as opposed to just having the right to vote given to you uh, for free. Well, and and this is some of the arguments that we see from from the left. Believe it or not, people who who <laughs> yeah. who say you you need to prove uh, that you are educated enough on the issues or educated enough on the candidates that to be allowed to vote. Like that's. That's not very different from this sort of argument, and so it it becomes a a serious question what Heinlein is trying to get at with the points of this, and I don't think Heinlein is just trying to say, oh, fascism is awesome, and we need a military industrial complex to run the state. Like I think, I think if that's the message that you come away with with this book, you like Paul Verhoeven didn't didn't read it particularly closely. <laughs> One thing about that, I think the the big difference to me between what the left says about you need to be educated in the issues before you can vote and what Heinlein is saying here is the difference between like intellect and morality, I guess. Like being educated in the issues. Uh, what do you mean by educated in the issues? Like no like you know facts about them or you know which is right, like you just know things about them. Uh, and there's different ways and different parts of it you could know. Whereas with moral- morals, it's just like, are you the kind of person that cares about people more than yourself? Yeah. Those are the kind of people that should vote is basically what he's saying. As opposed to, it's not about the smartest people voting. It's about people who care about other people. Uh, uh, because when you're voting, 
no matter how in, uh, how knowledgeable you are of the facts, if you're voting in your best self-interest, <laughs> then you don't really care about those facts. You just care about what facts that matter to you, mm-hmm. which is where you have this huge divide in, in the United States between rural areas and the cities. Is that the people who live in these big cities know what it's like for big city people and that's what they're voting for? Mm-hmm. Whereas the rural country people know what it's like to live in a, like a town where the factory left 25 years ago and nobody has a job. And so they're voting based on what they know there. So like, I don't know, that's just... Ab- absolutely. Heinlein seems to be suggesting that that empathy is something that maybe maybe you can't train someone in it, but you can uncover it in, in people. And and his suggestion for uncovering it is is through this this commitment to service mm-hmm. to for to the state or to the federation, however it's 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 pitched, which is very very different than what you get from it should be tied to knowledge, pure and simple, right? Yeah. One of those requires like he he's not really arguing that military service makes someone empathetic what he's arguing is that it allows it allows the state to find the people that are that have the capacity for empathy sufficient to sweat out their two years of service yeah i don't even know if it to me it was really about the empathy but it was about service mm-hmm. you're willing to give service to the the, uh, the the country and the citizens and therefore you deserve to be a citizen of this country because you chose to, to you chose to service it. Because some of the people in the military don't go through a nearly as hard training as the MI do. Yeah. Like on the ground shooting and getting in war zones. Like some of them are just like, you know, pilots who fly things around and do math. Some of them are just like electrical engineering people, like his buddy Carl. Carl. Because the MI, they were the ones who everyone in the MI fights. Yeah, which which is why he wanted to follow those because those people are also not just doing the job servicing the military, but they're also the ones who are fighting, yeah. and everybody fights, even the cook. Well, and one of the things that that Heinlein does to even undermine how how heroic we're supposed to see uh, Rico as a citizen in some ways is that he gives up his right to vote by choosing to go career. Yeah. Because because in this world, not only is it two years of service, but it's two years of service, and then you have to leave service. Yeah. If you continue to serve, you don't get to vote. And so our hero never in the story, and it seems like through throughout his life, will not ever get to vote until he is perhaps uh, an old man. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is a fascinating and and difficult point to reconcile with the with the the right to vote that we were getting before because in some ways the character that we follow he's exactly who you want you would want to vote he is your ideal citizen in so many ways and yet he's he's so far removed from politics as as something going on in the world and politics for him is the end of his gun, right? And mm-hmm. and so it, it it it's a very interesting sort of story that Heinlein is telling here. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is fascinating. Although this is one thing about the book that I found kind of like I guess the, the most old fashioned. I'm going to call it mm-hmm. is that the reason we fight 
is for ladies, apparently, <laughs> uh, according <laughs> yeah. to this book. That's what, like, he signs up because he kind of likes this girl. That's what gets him to the sign-up station. He could have walked away at any time, but he stayed after that. But that is what got him there. And all the talk of, like, uh, what is it, the 30, the bulkhead 30? Yeah, bulkhead 30. In the 30. ship, where, like, uh, uh, past bulkhead 30 is where the, the women's quarters is. Yeah. Um, and the men never see them. Uh, because they're always in the back of the ship, and they they never see the women. Uh, and so when he finally is allowed to go past there and be near women and stuff, it's like this reminder why we fight <laughs> and stuff like that. And they reference it, and there's a and like the whole thing about how there's a reason why when you launch and the first the last thing you hear before you drop is uh, a woman's voice in your ear, you yeah, know, to remind you why you fight. And it was just like this weird like. Weird focus on women being the reason people fight <laughs> and not just other like friends and family and just, you know, other things. It's like, no, it's women. It's ladies. When when Johnny Johnny's parents both die in the middle of the book or seem to die in the middle of the book, he doesn't he, he's not driven to fight further because of their death. Like it's <laughs> no. not in in their name. You're right. There is something very patriarchal about this uh, about this world and i mean that that's heimlin like through and through his 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 women get it's a very strange relationship that that heimlin has to women and part of that is the time in which he's writing and so you have to kind of shrug it off but part of it is definitely just weird like it's just yeah. uncomfortable but it's but again i see where from when he was writing where that theme comes from because uh, the military was as far as i know in 1959 only men could serve can you correct me on that or uh like uh yeah like i i think th like there there are some roles for women but like the 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 ground troops in the in the kind of yeah, roles sorry. that in, rico yeah. would be yeah infantry was only men back then uh now it's not I think I, I get confused by all this military stuff because every now and then you hear stories about how women are allowed to do X. And I'm like, wait, they weren't allowed to do X before. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so coming from that perspective, it's like, OK, so all these like soldiers who who were in the Korean War or something like that, like all they wanted to see were women again because they hadn't seen them in so long. So I see why that's like the theme in the book, you know, of like women being something that these men who haven't seen women for a long time. But it did feel really odd and kind of old-fashioned to me. because it, it's And something that the movie did uh, differently, uh, where there were women, but it totally changed a lot of the meaning of, of Rico's motivation and stuff. Um, anyway, sorry. Let's, let's still stick with the book for a bit. Stick with the book for a bit. And the thing that I have to remind myself with this book, whenever I'm reading it and trying to come at it, is is that we're seeing a very small slice of a world that Heinlein has built. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing it through this one character's perspective. And so if this is a coming-of-age story, it's going to be a limited coming-of-age story. We're not going to see necessarily the, the better relationships with women because that's not the story that's being told here. Now, that being said, it's pretty clear that that women have a different place in this world and mm -hmm. and not to say that they aren't totally respected right like there's this very strong theme throughout the book of of navy service being being where women are vastly superior to men yeah as pilots i guess yeah yeah space navy by the way for yeah. those who <laughs> space navy yeah not not boats <laughs> and and for heinlein like that's 
I think Heinlein saw that as progressive <laughs> as opposed to uh, exclusionary. So it's like there are attempts to be be more progressive in that way. But for us coming from 2016, it some seems, of this stuff yeah. is hard to swallow. It yeah. seems really old fashioned. And that's how that's how I describe it, old fashioned. It doesn't seem like overly like uh, like derogatory. Yeah, uh, that's not how I mean it. It just seems like an old fashioned idea that we've totally gotten past. Uh, well, and totally, <laughs> I say this after Trump becomes president elect. <laughs> so totally is in quotation marks. We would uh, like to have gotten past it. Yeah, we we think we like to think we've gotten past it. Yeah, when uh, so 1959, mm-hmm. uh, women earned the right to vote in America when in the early 30s. Yeah, so it was still like 20 or so years after women had the right to vote. So we could call that pretty progressive <laughs> for its time. <laughs> It, it definitely doesn't see women as inferior like that. And I think that that's an important thing to 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 bracket in that in that Heinlein does have a particular view of of women's role, according to Rico. And and there are no women in the mobile infantry, but he doesn't see them as inferior because they're women. Mm-hmm. He might say that women can't serve in the mobile infantry because they are physically weaker or a distraction to men, maybe, mm-hmm. but but he's making a very different like he's trying to come at it from what seems like a more earnest place than you get in earlier science fiction, which definitely treats women as objects. Yes. Women aren't objects in this book. Mm-hmm. In the same way, it may be uncomfortable for us to be like, oh, yeah, he seems really to fixate on the idea of how important women are for men in service. But there's also like from from what we know of World War One and World War Two men on the front, there was a lot of a lot of that mentality anyway. Like the, yeah. the reason we fight is the girl back home. Yeah. And so like, yes, there's sexism and, and patriarchy here, but it's not, it's not necessarily as insidious as it could have been. And, and Heinlein wasn't writing it because like, like this is how it should be. He was writing like, this is what it's, this is what it has been Yeah, for, Hein- for men in the military. Like men in the military have had this, this want to have women near them or just like all they want to do is just see a girl. Yeah, and that, and that was all it ever was. It's just like see a girl. Like when he talks about his shore leave, and he's like in Vancouver, yeah, watching women walk, and he's just like, ah, oh, just watching them walk is so great. <laughs> and it's like so weird, but it's like, yeah, I guess if you've been like you know two years and you haven't seen uh, uh, a female before, like in two years, seeing any woman would be like this cool, wow, like whoa, women exist, kind of experience. Yeah, and I think it fits in with the honesty of the military story that he's trying to tell. It 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 feels human. Yeah. And it, it and and so I mean, yeah, there there's definitely a degree of uncomfortableness to it, but it feels natural enough in the world that we're living in. And so it, it it's one of those things that's easier to forgive than maybe some of the stuff that you get in the movie version of it. And so Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. Um, I want to, Roger Ebert in his review of the movie described the novel, and I mean the novel as, quote, for juveniles. I read it to the point of memorization when I was in grade school. I have improved since then, but the story has not. Whoa. (laughs) That's how he described the novel? That's how he described the novel when he was reviewing the movie. And so 
it, it's fascinating how how divisive this this book is for for people who love science fiction but then like continuing on through to the movie it ends up being divisive in other ways too and mm-hmm. and for me it's really interesting to to for people to come at this and attack this novel because in some ways it's it's a very small story it takes place on a on a universal scale you know between this giant giant conflict but all we ever see is one young man growing up into yeah. into an adult and into a citizen and that's uh, a, such a small personal story that it's hard to to understand some of the criticisms that get thrown at it yeah i uh, i think it was a, that was a great read that was fantastic uh, and i really enjoyed it and uh, so we still haven't talked about the suits no we haven't talked about the suits which is something that's neat because he hardly talks about the suits <laughs> Yeah. They they just have them, and then when it gets to the point where it's like, well, I guess I have to describe the suits. <laughs> he, that sentence is in the book, and from there, he still hardly describes the suits. <laughs> he doesn't describe what they look like. Yeah. He doesn't tell you how it does anything it does. Really, he doesn't get into the hard sci-fi of it, which I liked. I don't need that. And he just describes what they can do, you know, and how you can jump in them, and how just like when you move your arm, it it just ex- makes it move for you, and just like it, anyone can just get in a suit and it just works. To do like the real hard stuff, it's a little like like the jumping and things. There's tra- practice involved, but you step into a suit, you move around, and it just does what it does for you. And so, like the whole the whole book, you're picturing in your brain these these guys in these gigantic suits, like mecha mecha warrior suits, you know, yeah, jumping through the air and firing guns from like all angles. <laughs> And just b- dropping bombs everywhere, just just like like flying gigantic tanks with people in them that look like giant robots uh, running around fighting. And in like that final sequence on on Planet P, where they're just like bouncing around the planet constantly <laughs> in rotation, drop like uh, waiting for the bugs to come up. And it's like and uh, and yeah, so like you picture these gigantic huge suits in your brain. At least that's what I did. I assume you do as well. Although you don't quite picture them, you just know that that's what they look like. Yeah, no, they're these they're these giant power armor suits that that that, you know, allow you the the ability to to, you know, take out an entire platoon of normal soldiers by yourself. At times, the character is throwing nuclear weapons at the enemy. Yeah. And 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 is totally oblivious to their effects. Like we're we're talking these super cool mechanical robot suits, and uh, and then in the movie, <laughs> it's just it's just people with with machine guns. It's just people with machine guns. So here's here's our transition into the movie. I think aliens was a better adaptation of Starship Troopers <laughs> than the movie Starship Troopers. Yeah, I, I think Power Rangers is a better adaptation of Starship Troopers <laughs> than, than the film Starship Troopers was. Yeah, and I did, when I was reading the book, think of the think of Aliens like like twice. Once with the, the suits idea and, and Ripley in the big suit and Aliens. Um, but also there's this moment where they're at the end, Planet P, where they're going through the tunnel finally. Mm-hmm. Which they spent most of the book talking about how when you go in a tunnel, you know, people don't come back. Yeah. And they don't know what happens to them. And he goes in there following uh, one of his soldiers. 
Because no man left behind in the MI. And it's dark and you can't see anything. And then all of a sudden there's bugs everywhere. And he says, I guess those smooth walls weren't weren't as smooth as I thought they were. Or that's why they were smooth, because they were actually bugs hiding on the walls. Yeah. Which gives you this really creepy image. Uh, oh, and yeah. And like, kind of creeps you out. But exactly what happens in Aliens when they're in the Aliens tunnel. And all the aliens are just on the walls and they don't see them because they blend in and then they come out and attack them all of a sudden from nowhere. And I was like, that's just like an Aliens is what I thought. I was like, oh, cool. That's just like what happens in Aliens. And then realize, oh, it happens in Aliens because of this book. <laughs> like like having to reorder the timeline in my head about which came first. Yeah. And uh, and then Missy looked it up and found out that uh, that it was required reading for the set uh, in all the actors in Aliens. Of course it was. Yeah, like, they had to read Starship Troopers. This this inspires so much of what we know about science fiction today. Like it 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 becomes such an important book. The idea the idea of the drop dropping the drop. from space. Uh and uh and how the movie screwed that up too. Cuz I don't know, I always pictured in, in the book it's like they're in their giant suits and they're in these little pods by themselves. Exactly, and, and they get shot out once at one at a time, and it's terrifying because you're just by yourself in this little pod. You have no idea what's happening in the rest of the world for this moment as you drop, and you might not touch the ground. Yep. Um, and in the movie, it's just like no, they just they're just other ships. They're just littler ships that everyone just sits in. In in the book, Ugh. they're paratroopers that are shot out of the barrel of a space gun, and yeah. in 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 the movie. It's like you're storming the beaches at Normandy from space. Yeah, like exactly. that's the yeah. that's the difference. And and it's important, I think, to read a quote from Paul Verhoeven, the director of the film. Please, I can't wait to hear. I stopped reading after two chapters because it was so boring. It really is quite a bad book. I asked Ed to tell me the story because I just couldn't read the thing. It's a very right wing book. Oh my god. <laughs> I, that it totally explains the movie. Yeah, he 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 hated Starship Troopers. He hated it. He he saw it as fascist. He saw it as in supporting the military. He saw it as endorsing the policies of people like Hitler or Mussolini. And so he created this movie. Yeah, because this this is this is the biggest difference between the two to me was that. Starship Troopers was very like the book was very like um, a critique of democracy in its current state, a kind of thoughtful, again, a thoughtful uh, and measured look at climbing the political ranks and earning citizenship and earning uh, who should vote and that kind of thing. Whereas the movie was kind of just like modern day America, <laughs> like being a citizen is the most important thing in the whole world. <laughs> and that's why he fights. The the thing for me about uh, about the book is, I think I think there's right you're right to point to parts of it that could be considered fascist. Like I think Verhoeven is. is I, I I didn't point to sorry, this. not Verhoeven you. Did. Verhoeven did. I, I I think you could. I think I think there's a strong sense that, or, or there's an argument to be made that the book is essentially saying what would what would it look like if say Germany won the war. And we were, you know, hundreds of years in the future, like World War II, and we were living in a world that was more fascist. 
you know, and mm-hmm. and and he he doesn't suggest that fascism is terrible. He suggests that fascism, you know, ends up being relatively benign in some of the same ways that democracy becomes relatively benign. Like it's you the system itself isn't insidious and and people will make it work well enough that everyone is okay with it. Like that's kind of what some of some of the stuff that Heinlein seems to be saying. Whereas Verhoeven looks at this and he goes, Nope, this is all terrible. I am going to I am going to totally tear everything about the book that has any any merit to it. Tear it apart. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like in so the book is a very thoughtful and measured look at climbing the political ranks of the military and the difficulties it contains. The movie is the movie is a cocky kid easily climbs the ranks by killing bugs well. Yeah. Yeah. The movie he's just like he's just a a, a football player. He he is a football <laughs> player. He is this he is, is the quarterback of his football team. Yeah, and, and like and because of that he's a good soldier apparently and then because he's just good at killing bugs he easily climbs the ranks, and before the even the end of the movie, he's a lieutenant. <laughs> and it's like, oh my goodness! In the book, it is so much harder for him to do anything. Most of the book is him going to school. Yeah, and most of the movie is him shooting bugs. And in the book, the military is this tiny, like it, this tiny little wing of society that is you that is considered like disdainful people. For the most part, yeah. people disdain the military. They see it as, you know, a, a relic of a time long gone. And and the entire society is geared towards being social and living in, in what is mostly a capitalist society, it looks like. Yeah, a capitalist society where but the only people who vote are ex military people. Yeah. Whereas the the movie, the everything is geared towards the military. Like the entire th- their high school education uh, they're dissecting bugs. Your their yeah. their history and moral philosophy class seems like it 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 is it is an indoctrination class. Like yeah. it, everything is dedicated towards the fight, and so it's very yeah, and right from like the the whole like the the propaganda commercials. <laughs> yeah, it's about this. It, it's created this like futuristic fascist state of propaganda and brainwashing people to sign up for the military and all like it 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 makes the army look like the bad guy yeah right yeah whereas the book makes the army look like the sort of silent unsung hero yeah yeah well and and i don't even i don't even know if necessarily you that would even be what heinlein is saying it's just like it's not maybe it's not the unsung hero it's just it's it's a necessity guys like you mm-hmm. you, you you need this in in a world where where bad things happen yeah whereas for verhoeven the military is in itself bad and mm-hmm. and and the state sending off its young its its best its brightest its most beautiful off to die brutally in armed conflict the state is the villain in in Verhoeven's story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The state is the villain as opposed to the bugs. Yeah. Yeah. And the bugs in his story are just idiot bugs. They're just gigantic bugs. They're literally just big bugs. Yeah. Uh, except for the big brain bug that still looks kind of stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And and it sucks people's brains out. Like it. <laughs> yeah. Literally, it eats brains. Um, it's like a zombie bug. Um, but the 
the bugs in the book are like intelligent creatures and uh, are workers and have cities and like, you know, like they just happen to be a hive mentality as opposed to individuals, right? Which is where I totally don't understand how Orson Scott Card did not read this book. <laughs> but, but, um, but like the two differences between our species and because of that, like they, the one man is worth a thousand bugs, blah, 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 blah. All that stuff is fine. But the whole like this mindlessness of the bugs in the movie was just like, oh, man, this is all of a sudden the most boring thing in the world to watch. It was a boring movie. So the, the, thing, the thing about the book is, like, it even suggests, like, one of the reasons why they're trying to find the brain bugs or the queen bugs is so that they can try and understand if diplomacy is even possible. Like, yes. Like, it, it is not just let's go kill all these bad dudes. It's it's let's see and even there is diplomacy in the book between them and the skinnies who are this mm-hmm. other race that we know almost nothing about who like there there is so much deeper going on in those sorts of relationships in the book than there is in the film. Yeah, it's like he heard the word bugs in the book and was like, ah, cool bugs. And it's like, no, 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 no. That's just what they call them. They refer to them as bugs, almost like a derogatory statement. They're they're bug like creatures. Yeah, but they are intelligent. They're aliens. Is what he should, if it was the word aliens, it would have been a very different movie. <laughs> so Verhoeven also did RoboCop. He's the guy who did the original RoboCop. Yeah, and and he did Total Recall and Basic Instinct and Showgirls. So what you're telling me is he likes kind of big blockbuster uh, propaganda. Well, the state's the bad guy propaganda and boobs. So, so here's the thing that I like this this book this film definitely isn't the book, and it's clear that this film hates the book, like, mm-hmm. and it hates its characters. Mm-hmm. the The amount of disdain that the 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 camera has for its main character in this, like, yes, we're supposed to quote unquote follow along Johnny Rico in the film, but like it thinks he is an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're supposed to watch him and go, holy crap, this quarterback jock idiot is is our hero. Like you're supposed to loathe him. But I think I think that there's merit in this movie that is completely separate from the book. This I am uh okay, I didn't interrupt you here because I'm very excited to hear what merit you found in this movie. Um, cause I watched it and I was just like, I don't think, uh, I, I, it was bad. It was bad. It was a bad movie. Uh, that's all that, that's that it was a bad movie. Like not even as like a, like adaptation from the book. Yes. It totally it failed at that because it didn't even try. Mm-hmm. And I was ready to forgive it for that. I was like, whatever. It doesn't need to adapt the book. Let's just see a good movie about shooting bugs. And it wasn't even a good movie about shooting bugs. It was like a teenage high school love story put into a military setting <laughs> and in the end he goes in after the girl into the cave and she all of a sudden is just shooting guns too even though she's a pilot and has no training <laughs> and, and you're like what is going on and the last line she says of when the three of us are together everything works out as like all of these people are dead around them and she has like this huge gash in her arm and she's just like walking normally after being stabbed by a buck and, I, and has green goo splattered on her. I was like, yep, everything works out. Was that supposed to be said more ironically? 
See, I think your disdain for that line for those characters is exactly the point. I think in the same way that RoboCop is like RoboCop is a great film. It, it, sure. Ro RoboCop is a film that takes a look at crime in America and mag magnifies it through a science sci-fi lens. Like that's mm -hmm. and it and it tells this outrageous story. Like in in so many ways, RoboCop is an outrageous story that you're supposed to know is satire. We're talking about the original RoboCop. Yeah, right? we're not talking about the the new one. I haven't seen it. Uh, I don't. Okay. I don't know if I can because I love the old one so much. But okay. In the same way, I think this film attempts to take that 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 satirical lens and apply it to not only the action movie genre because I think that that's what it's doing, but also like war as a concept that is celebrated. I think I think Verhoeven really through this film is showing the ridiculousness uh, and the absurdity of the propaganda and the what we get around war as something to be celebrated. I think I think he like he's he's writing this uh, he, he's this this film's coming out you know in the late 90s as it seems clear that America hasn't learned the lessons of World War II, like, or hasn't learned the lessons of Vietnam. They're back in Iraq, they're, they're back being a military nation, and for Verhoeven, he's attempting to highlight the absurdity of all of that. I think he failed at that as well. <laughs> Because I didn't get any hint of him making fun of of I mean I got I got that he was making fun of propaganda mm -hmm. and making fun of maybe like like uh, it felt like more like he was making fun of maybe like Hitler or something or the Nazis or or you know some other regime where there's lots of propaganda that's, mm -hmm. that's swaying people um, that's so obviously false propaganda I get that he was making fun of that but I think he wanted us to care about these characters you do. I, yes, I definitely do, because he focused the whole the whole story was seen through the lens of a, it was a love story. But but isn't like that's that's I think the the great point of it is that the love story is so dumb. It's it's but but like that's that's the story is that it's like a love triangle and it's about people falling in love in wartime, incredibly inappropriately. Totally. And and Johnny Rico gets the girl twice. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. gets the girl twice, and one of them dies. And, and one of them dies in his arms, and 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 she's bleeding, and she says, "Don't let me go," and yeah. and it's it's okay because you're here with me, and, and I had you. Yeah, but and I, and I think any any praise you can give this film for what it's doing <laughs> is an after the fact praise, not an intention of the director phase. Oh. Like, I don't think the director in, in any way was intending to do that. I think he was trying to make an awesome action movie with uh, and couldn't see how he could do it without this love story angle because it's Hollywood and put in this love story angle. Two love stories. Three love stories, maybe? Is there three love stories in this movie? Uh, no, there's just the two, really. There's Rico, there's Rico oh, yeah. being in love with Carmen. There's Carmen and the pilot that yeah, she meets. You're right. And then there's him and the, the Diz girl, the other football player girl. Dizzy Flores, yeah. 
Dizzy Flores. So there's like three love stories happening in this movie. And there's the friendship of him and Carl and, and Diz, which, um, and, and I, I don't think any of those love stories were made fun of. Oh, I, I think right? they're they made were fun just, of constantly. I, I don't think they were being used as, as, uh, as uh, satire. The love stories were, were legitimately treated like love stories. The only thing that I could say made it feel like satire was that it was so badly acted. But I don't think that had anything to do with what the intention of the director was. See, see, this is the thing. Like, I think that you're right. It's terribly acted. I think, I think that, um, but, but, but I think that it's, it's terribly acted for the point. I think, like, I, I, I'm not suggesting necessarily that, like, the director was like, you have to be, be bad actors for this. But um, it, I, I think he, he was totally comfortable with having Denise Richards or Richards or Casper Van Dien in the leading roles because they are vacuous and empty. Like they're not, there's nothing more to them than what's on the surface. They're beautiful people. And this film is all about throwing beautiful people into a, at, at a war and how, how the state like tries to make heroes of them in absurd ways. Like, there's a commercial in the middle of the film about children doing their part by stomping cockroaches. Yeah, no, and this is the propaganda commercials. I get that that totally hit the making fun of propaganda commercials, right? Yeah. But the rest of the film did not feel like that. He was trying to make fun of it. He felt like he was trying to do it. And this is where, like with RoboCop, it worked. Because RoboCop, it didn't feel like he was making fun of this idea of a robot cop. Right. The fact that there was a Robocop was awesome for the movie. Right. Um, uh, whereas this felt like it wasn't awesome, but it wasn't being made fun of. It was just like terrible. It was just bad. Like, I, 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 um, I think you're giving him too much credit. I think that in the same way that the, the book Rico wants to be a good guy and sometimes stumbles into heroics. The movie Rico wants to be an action movie star and and gets to be an action movie star in this. Like, I th- I absolutely feel like this is a film that knows it's an action movie and thinks so poorly of of the kinds of people that celebrate that. Oh man, you're you're, you're treating it like not another teen movie. <laughs> in, in yeah, it, this like is like where it's trying to be self referential or something like that. And I don't think it was at all. Uh, like with the exception of the propaganda films being clearly joke propaganda films, the, the 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 commercials, the rest of the movie does not play like that. It plays like a real action movie. Okay, so so why why do you, why would you make the main character a football player? Like why would you why would you put him in the middle of a love triangle between one of his best friends and his girlfriend, an intergalactic love triangle? Like. Why would you see, have the all, the bugs suck people's brains out? See, all that to me reads like uh, what, what, it, what it looks to me is like the story of watching someone slowly climb the ranks of military by going to different military schools mm-hmm. is not a good story. <laughs> That's what it re- it looks like him saying. Uh, and when you said that he thought the book was boring, that just made so much more sense to me as to how this movie got made. <laughs> um, but the book is boring. So what what do we need in a movie? We need love triangles. We need to justify why this guy is a good soldier, so we'll make him a football player. 
you know, who is good at flipping over things. He does a super cool flip move. And so because of that, he goes and gets into the military. And the whole justification for him doing it is love. And the reason he's good at it is because he's a football player. Like, that's what it looks like to me, is it looks like like uh, set up for... It's, it's, it's like classic movie setup trope, like like giving us all the things this character needs to learn and the things he's good at so that he can use those superpowers later to learn the things he needs to learn. Yeah, but I, I feel like watching it, like if you, if you admire Johnny Rico in the film, you're the butt of the joke. Like if, if, yeah. you, if you think these characters are something, something to be respected – the film is laughing at you because you are you are how fascism gets started like <laughs> beautiful people like beautiful people saving the world like i i just i don't i don't i don't know how i just feel i, I feel like you don't want to believe that it's just a bad movie <laughs> i mean I, like you were like there's no way this could be this bad there must be a reason for it being this bad and you're trying to justify the director's choices and making it this bad I, I think that looking at Paul Verhoeven as somebody who was, I think, in the Netherlands during World War II, like somebody who survived some of the some of the hardest parts of World War II um, as as a, a citizen of the Netherlands, like I think I think there's more going on than in say uh, a Michael Bay film. I think that there, there I think that it, this film is more aware of the climate and the context in which it's in than the latest Transformers film. Did you um did did, did Verhoeven say this? Well he well he is he has said that it's anti-fascist. Like I don't Yeah, that's like that's clear from the propaganda films. But did he say did he say you're not supposed to like these characters and if you do you're the butt of the joke? I don't know. I don't probably not. <laughs> See, I think this is you, for some reason, really wanted to like this movie and are finding a weird meta justification of how it's not bad. It's actually genius. <laughs> like like The Room, that movie The Room. Oh, no. Like oh, one no. of the world's worst movies in the world. And how it was so bad that afterwards the director was like, no, 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 it's supposed to be that bad. And it's like trying to make it seem like he meant it to be that way. Where uh, he definitely did not, and it just ended up bad, and now he's trying to pretend it was supposed to be bad the whole time, and that's what makes it a piece of art. <clears throat> I feel like that's what you're doing. It's like, well, these characters are shallow, and you don't care about them, and it's it's a bunch of stupid action sequences and need like absolutely needless nudity, like totally totally, un nudity. totally unnecessary nudity scenes, and uh, and bunch of bug killing just because it's fun to watch bugs explode, um, and it's so bad in all those ways that actually I meant it to be bad in those ways to teach you a lesson about action movies. Like that's, that's what it sounds like. Okay. You're trying to say. So I'm going to tell you a story about one of the nude, nude uh, scenes in the film. So the, the shower scene where, you know, there are, you know, 10, 15 characters who are all nude in the, sh in the communal showers together. Yeah. The, the actors only agreed to do that film. If Paul Verhoeven directed the scene naked. <laughs> Which is and it, did he? He did. He directed the scene naked. Oh, good. That's good to know. That's good because it was so unnecessary. It's so unnecessary and stupid. But like that—that's—that's that's the thing. Like I think, 
You think because it's it's so unnecessary and stupid, it must have been intelligent and necessary. <laughs> well, it's it's just there is there is so much in this film that I think you could point to and say that is unnecessary and dumb. From from making the the main character a a quarterback, from the love triangle to like like in in the book there's this beautiful story about his relationship with his father that is maybe a little cheesy but it feels human very cheesy yeah we forgot all about that it's pretty yeah. cheesy yeah but like it it feels like there's a human relationship there um which may be one of the only human relationships that we get out of the book uh, there's a couple but and, yeah yeah but we we kind of throw all of that away in the movie in favor of nothing like they don't really replace that they replace his father with a love triangle, I guess. And his buddy Carl. And and his buddy Carl, but like the thing who for some reason is psychic? Totally. His but his buddy Carl who in the book is uh, an electrical engineer and in the movie is Neil Patrick Harris wearing, you know, a Nazi coat and is psychic and psychic? And he touches psychic? he touches the bug and he says, "It's afraid." So, did they make him psychic because they wanted to show how into psychicness everybody was and how stupid that is. Like, <laughs> hey, okay, so so there it, were just too. There's too many bad choices in this movie to think. Like, if he was trying to comment on anything, any one particular thing, like making the actor shallow or something, so that we can see how action movies are dumb. Everything else in the movie should have been done well. The the movie itself. Like, let's let's look at like. Things like the the action sequences, which yes, they're dumb because they're fighting giant bugs, but they hold up. Like for a film made in the '90s, for the most part, the special effects and the action doesn't. The CGI was great. Yeah, the CGI was super cool. Like it comes across still. The soldiers running on the desert ground, shooting at things, looked like classic 1990s untrained soldiers in movies. Totally. Um, acting, uh, which we don't do as badly anymore. <clears throat> but it still looked pretty kind of cheesy, but only cheesy because it was a 90s film, not yeah. cheesy in the sense that like, oh, why would they do this in a movie? Yeah. Um, and the CGI did hold up really well. I was very impressed at how the bugs actually moved and looked, and it was very creepy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the exploding and the exploding bugs uh, were pretty creepy. I, I just, I, I, I can't, I, I can't, I, I don't buy, there were too many things that were done poorly in this film to buy that they were done intentionally poorly. And And I guess for me, I can't, I can't look at the commercials, the, the, the parody commercials, the propaganda commercials. I can't look at RoboCop or Basic Instinct or Showgirls and say that the director that made those made a, made a movie that was, that was just a, meant to be a dumb action movie. Like, I think, I think that's where I'm coming from. Maybe, maybe he, he failed to get this across properly. But I'm more willing to give him the benefit of the doubt because of everything else that he's done. It tells me I think there's more going on for him as a director than just making like he Total Recall. Total Recall is is yes, it's a dumb action movie, but it's not just a dumb action movie. There's a lot to it. And so I I just have a hard time saying that this is just straight up stupid action. Okay. I think you're right that he was trying to point out, like be do a satirical film on the military. Mm-hmm. I think you're right that that's what he was aiming to do. 
But I still think he completely failed at that, if that's what he was trying to do. It's like, and like I was saying, if you want to point out how, if you want to make fun of one thing, you pick that one thing and you make fun of it. Right. You don't make fun of everything all at the same time. Otherwise, it looks like you live in an absurd reality instead of a reality where this one thing is absurd and then you point out how absurd it is, which is what RoboCop feels like. Yeah. And Total Recall kind of feels like that too, mm-hmm. where it's like the action movie part of Total Recall and the everything feels like the original Total Recall I'm talking about. feels like good and real so that the parts they're kind of making fun of with this idea of like moving to Mars and the three-breasted woman all kind of like yeah. stand out as making fun. So I think you're right that he was trying to do that, but I think he failed at that by trying to make fun of everything, like trying to make too to, – because if, if he was just making fun of the military thing, the whole teenage love story angle yeah. doesn't, doesn't fit in there. Now he's, now he's making fun of teenage love stories in Hollywood movies while making fun of military stuff and making fun of, of big action and making fun of how like he throws a grenade in a bug and it blows up the bug and he lands and he says like, well, now you're corporal. You know, like uh, I can see how those, that, that line of, of like now you're a corporal or whatever after he blows up a bug <laughs> would be, would be, could be really funny, but because of the way the movie's set up with the relationships and stuff, it doesn't come across as funny. It comes across as like, what? That's dumb. It, it, everything's being made fun of too much that it feels like like the movie's just bad. So I think whether whatever his intent was, he failed at that, is what I'm saying with this movie, and therefore makes it a bad movie. I I, th- I think you're 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 right in that the movie, if you compare it to Total Recall or RoboCop, tries to do everything where they tried to do one thing and did it really well. I, th- I think that's absolutely a fair critique to make of it. Yeah, because there was no like like quote unquote straight man in the movie like that's showing us how absurd this thing is. Uh, therefore, it everything comes across as absurd, and it's just an absurd film. That that's what it feels like. It feels like an absurd film that's just like too far and too dumb and it doesn't feel like it's making fun of a dumb hollywood movie it feels like it is a dumb hollywood movie and so somewhere in there there was uh, something that he missed that he didn't do right and i think it was focusing too much on this teenage relationship thing and i think if none of that was in there and we didn't see the story of the pilot at all and we just followed Z- uh, rico through the military and it being like that and him kind of being just a normal dude then it might have had that effect but the way it came across, it did not have that effect. It came across just like like Missy went to bed early because she couldn't finish watching it because it was so boring. And I would fast forward to the action sequences sometimes because they were so boring. <laughs> I, I, I think you're right. Like I think the, the, the love story is such an absurd addition to this. And I mean, it's, it's a bad love story. Like if you, especially when you really get down to it, like the girl is one of his best friends and she's loved him secretly not so secretly forever and she's been trying to break him up with carmen forever and Mm -hmm. then she joins the military maybe because of him and then like it just like it's very very weird i won't i won't deny that part whatsoever yeah and if anything like the other thing that makes this fail so much is that the book like it, it the book looks like making a citizen becoming a citizen is a is a a burden mm-hmm and a hard thing to do, and that only the, uh, and it's not like it's not a prize. Right. It's now you're a citizen. Go out and vote. 
whereas the movie makes it like being an American citizen is the greatest thing in the world and everyone should want to be an American citizen. Is being a citizen really that important to you? Yeah, mom, it is. You know, like, and it feels like the whole movie itself is actually propaganda for the current state of American democracy. Showing like, look, it's so important to be a citizen. Imagine if you had to go through the military to do it, right? Like, instead of like, <laughs> instead of a, a satire about the military. <laughs> yeah, but the direct the director's not an American. He's Dutch. I know, like, I know, but that's 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 how the movie plays. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, he may have meant it as a satire, but it didn't work. <laughs> I mean, it was made in America. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, it it is an American film. I think. I think you're right. To to me, it has all the hallmarks of a movie where the producer and the director and the writer, uh, did he write and direct it? He was involved in the writing of it. I don't, I, it was written by um, someone else, the the same guy who wrote RoboCop, but I think they wrote it together. But it feels like the producer, the director, the writer, and the actors were all on completely different pages as to what this movie was supposed to be about. Uh, that's how it plays to me. It feels like everything's just kind of, and like the cinematographer and the set designer and all these people were all on very different pages as to what they were trying to do with the film, as opposed to one big cohesive agreement on what this is going to be and making it that like they could have made it like, like, uh, with the Vietnam guys, uh, Tropic Thunder, Tropic Thunder, right? Like Tropic Thunder is, is clearly making fun of military movies. Right. And, they could have tried to make it like, hey, let's clearly make fun of military movies. But they didn't. It didn't feel like that from everyone else, from all the angles. So what you're saying is when I teach my introduction to political philosophy course around the book Starship Troopers, I shouldn't end it with the movie Starship Troopers? Definitely do not do that. <laughs> definitely don't do that. Um, definitely don't do that. Alrighty. Well, I mean, it sounds like you had your final thoughts there, but anything, anything left for you? I enjoyed this book much more than I expected to. Yeah. I found it very thought provoking and insightful, especially in this week between an American election and Remembrance Day, mm-hmm. thinking about the military and thinking about, uh, you know, uh, remembering World War One and World War Two and fallen soldiers and, and, and sort of this like, as someone that has, n- <laughs> that does not support war in any way (laughs) thinking about how the sacrifice that soldiers make is is still an important sacrifice even as someone that is a pacifist yeah Hmm. yeah yeah i for me the this book is i think i think this is an important book as a science fiction nerd Uh, i think this is an important book as for me with with regards to political philosophy and and just being thoughtful about the things that we do and and i i i do recommend it i think that it's such a such an interesting take and it's it's very much of a different era but it has a lot to say to us in 2016 especially mm-hmm. you know in in the wake of the last uh, last couple of months i do still think the movie has has some merit to it but <laughs> but i can appreciate if you don't yeah <laughs> and you know if, if if you're getting started with with science fiction or you love science fiction starship troopers i think is a good place for you to go for the book don't you don't have to go to the movie i i just have to say one last thing is that 
reading the book, I thought of you a lot. And I was like, this is totally a book that Steve would love. It is like about political philosophy and it's science fiction and it's like a great story and it's really, you know, it's it's brilliant. Um, and then watching the movie, I thought about our friend Scott Thompson who likes Pacific Rim a lot. Um, <laughs> and I was like, Scott would like this movie. That is uh, both mean and hilarious. And I I think that's a good good final line for our podcast. <laughs> would you like to know more? Would you like to know more? I see what you did there. That's mm-hmm. in the, that's in the uh, mm-hmm. that happens in the movie. <laughs> it happens in the movie. <laughs> the movie you hated. Mm-hmm.